Today's class is a very important one because we're going to focus on one of the two brachas, one of the two blessings that are actually biblically mandated, that are actually sourced in the Torah itself. So we're going to be focusing on what's called birchas ha-Torah, right? The blessing on the Torah. We're going to turn to page 14, or I guess, hmm, take that back, page 17 in the Art Scroll Sidor. And like usual, we're going to read this blessing. And after we read it, then we will go over some sources and get a deeper understanding of what this blessing is supposed to be for us. So we do not learn Torah. We do not even say words of Torah at all before we say this blessing. Okay. Now, the blessing goes like this. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the people of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Hashem, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. And we're going to analyze these words because there's a lot of meaning packed in over here. Then we have blessing number two. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Hashem, giver of the Torah. Okay, then we actually finish with, that's the actual blessing. After we finish the blessing, as you see, we have a passage here from the Torah itself, from the written Torah in Numbers, then we have a passage here from the oral Torah, from the Mishnah, right? In this Mishnah in Peah. And then we continue with the oral Torah with a passage from the Talmud. Now, the custom is that we actually immediately after making this blessing on the mitzvah of learning Torah, immediately afterwards, we then quote something from both the written Torah and the oral Torah. So that immediately after making that blessing on the action of learning Torah, we immediately start learning Torah. Okay. Now, so I said before that this is biblically mandated mitzvah. Let me share with you guys these source sheet, and then we can go through these sources. But in the chat box, I will put the source sheet, and then I will also share my screen as well. Okay, so it's a very long source sheet. We're not going to go through all of it. A lot of it is in Hebrew also. I put it on there for my own sake so I could remember these sources for later. So the very first source that we're going to read is a verse in Deuteronomy. The Pasuk tells us like this. Moshe is speaking to the children of Israel right before he dies. And he says, when I proclaim the name of the Lord, give glory to our God. Okay. Seems like some sort of communication that's happening at that time period, perhaps. It's not so clear exactly what he's saying. The oral Torah teaches us that what this is actually giving us a commandment to make a blessing before learning Torah. In other words, when it says, Ki shem Hashem ekra, when I proclaim the name of the Lord, that is a euphemism for learning Torah. As we have seen before, the association of Torah with the name of Hashem. It, the Pasuk then tells us, 
Havu godel Eloheinu, right? Give glory to our God. What the Talmud is going to explain, as we look at source number two, we will see that, is that this is actually a commandment that before we say God's name by learning the Torah, we first have to give glory to God by making a special blessing. So source number two, and from where is the mitzvah by Torah law to recite the blessing over the Torah before it is read derived? As it is stated, when I proclaim the Lord's name, give glory to our God. Meaning that before one proclaims the Lord's name by reading the Torah, he must first give glory to God. Okay? Now, it's important to recognize that without the oral law, we would not have known that this is actually a source for a biblical commandment. But as so much of the Torah, it really goes hand in hand. And without having the oral law as well to explain to us what the written Torah is, it would be impossible for us to really understand what the written Torah is teaching us. Now, okay, so we see that there's an important blessing. It is one of the only two biblical blessings that are mandated by the Torah, right? What's the other one? The other one is birchat hamazon, right? The blessing that we make after we eat bread. Those are the only two blessings that are mandated by the Torah. Now, I want to show you source number three, because it's a shocking idea how far the Gemara takes the importance of this blessing. So let's look at source number three. And source number three is a Talmudic passage in Nidharam, okay? So one of the tractates of the, Biblic, of the Babylonian Talmud. Ravina says, so, okay, we're really in the middle of a conversation in this Talmudic passage in source three. The Gemara is asking a question like this. The Gemara is asking, we find a reality that rarely are Torah scholars, children themselves Torah scholars. And the Gemara asks, why is that so? Like, why... Why? You, you would think it's strange. You would think typically people who themselves are Torah scholars would be more likely to raise children who are Torah scholars, but that's not true. And the Gemara has a bunch of reasons, a bunch of answers as to why this question is so. One of the answers is that the reason why we don't want to have that Torah scholars' sons are Torah scholars is because there would become some sort of idea that it is a, um, it is a heritage of certain families to become Torah scholars. And people would think that, oh, I can't be a Torah scholar. My father wasn't a Torah scholar, right? And to eliminate that falsehood, therefore, the way in which Hashem runs the world is we often we find that Torah scholars' children are not Torah scholars. That's one answer. But Ravina gives a different answer. Ravina says the reason why Torah scholars' children are not Torah scholars, they are punished because they did not first recite a blessing over the Torah before commencing their studies. So you're talking about people who are studying Torah the whole day. Why are the children not Torah scholars? Because their parents, their father, did not recite the blessing before they were learning Torah. Now, the Gemara buttresses its point. As Rabbi Yehuda said that Rav said, what is the meaning of that which is written? Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken? That he may declare it. For what the land is perished and laid waste like a wilderness so that none passes through. This is a verse in Jeremiah. And what the verse is addressing is the question as to why the land of Israel was destroyed. What are we referring to here? We are referring to the destruction of the first temple and the first exile. So the Gemara tells us why were we exiled from the land of Israel for the first time. Now, most of us know the reason, right? The reason traditionally given is because we violated the three cardinal sins. And that's why we were exiled from Israel the first time. The sins of 
idol worship, illicit relationships, and bloodshed. But this Gemara goes a completely different angle. This matter, the question as to why Eretz Yisrael was destroyed, was asked of the sages, the wise man, and of the prophets, he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, but they cannot explain it. The matter remained a mystery until the Holy One, blessed be he, himself explained why Eretz Yisrael was laid waste. As it is written in the next verse, and the Lord said, because they have forsaken my Torah, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked therein. Okay, so this seems like a pretty reasonable explanation of why we had to lose the land of Israel. Why? Because we weren't learning Torah. And if you don't learn Torah, then the purpose of the world, and certainly the purpose of Eretz Yisrael, of the land of Israel, that is meant to be a, a, uh, a latter-day reincarnation of Gan Eden, of the Garden of Eden, and a place in which we are learning Torah. If people are not learning Torah, that makes sense that we should be exiled in the land of Israel. The Gemara takes it a step further. The Gemara says, it would appear that I've not obeyed my voice is the same as nor walked therein. Rabbi Yehuda said that Rav said, the expression nor walked therein means that they do not first recite a blessing over the Torah. And they are therefore liable to receive the severe punishments listed in the verse. So what's this Talmudic passage teaching us? Why were we exiled from the land of Israel? Not because of the three cardinal sins, but because we were not making a blessing on the Torah learning that we were doing each day. And this already seems a little bit crazy now, right? That this should really be a reason we get kicked out of the land of Israel, the destruction of the temple, all the horrible things that happened to us because we weren't making a blessing on the Torah. So let's look at the next source. And I think we're going to get a little bit more understanding. The next source is the Ran. The Ran is one of the Talmudic commentators, is Rabbeinu Nisim. He was actually cousins with Rabbeinu Iona of Gerona. Rabbeinu Iona of Gerona is famous for having written Share Teshuva, The Gates of Repentance. Why did he write this book? <laughs> so what happened is like this. He, Rabbeinu Iona, was one of the people who was fighting against passages within the Rambam's Mora Nevuchen, right? The Guide to the Perplexed, that he felt was taking Torah too far away from the uniqueness of Torah and was taking it too much into the category of philosophy. So he fought against the public dissemination of the Rambam. And they actually led to a point in which they were publicly destroying copies of this Mora Nevuchen. About 20 years later, the Catholic Church burnt many of the handwritten manuscripts of Talmud in the very same place where they had burnt the Rambam's Moronabuchen. At that point, Rabbi Yonah looked at that as divine retribution for the lack of respect that he had exhibited to the Rambam. And he wrote his famous treatise, the Sharei Teshuvah, the Gates of Repentance, how to properly do Teshuvah, repent for actions that you had taken in the past. Now, he is the cousin of the Ran. And the Ran, in his biblical, in his commentary on the Talmud, the Ran quotes his cousin to explain the question that's probably bothering all of us, which is that can it really be so severe not making a blessing before learning Torah to actually cause us to be exiled? So his cousin explains, I found in the hidden writings of Rabbeinu Yonah, Zatzal, he was already dead at this time. They were certainly constantly engaged in Torah. And therefore the scholars and prophets were confused as to why the land was destroyed until God himself, who knows the innermost feelings of one's heart, explained that they did not recite the brachot over the Torah. In other words, 
the Torah was not important enough to them that it should be worthy of a bracha, as they were not engaged in Torah for the proper reasons. And as a result, they belittled its bracha. That is what is meant by they did not walk therein with the proper intention and for its own sake. These are the words of the pious teacher, and they are fine and worthy of he who said them. So the fact that they weren't making a blessing, it's not just, oh, they omitted the blessing before learning the Torah. It was indicative of an attitude, of an attitude that Torah is not any different than any other discipline. It's a fascinating discipline. It's got its own rules of logic, really enjoyable to learn it. But is it anything unique about it? Is it the actual word of God given to us? There was no sense of that at all. And the way in which it was shown that there is no sense of that is the fact that they were not engaged in making a blessing. So when the Torah was being learned for the improper reasons and without the recognition that this is the word of God, that is what led to all of the other sins that they engaged in. Because of course it's true. Ultimately, what caused them to get exiled from the land of Israel is the fact that they were engaged in the three cardinal sins. But how did it reach a point in which a people that had a Beit HaMikdash, that had a temple in which there was an open manifestation of God's presence, could reach a point in which they were engaged in the three cardinal sins when they were surrounded and replete with Torah scholars? Because the Torah scholars had fallen. The Torah scholars were no longer Torah scholars with the recognition that this is the word of God. So the blessing that we make in the morning when we say the Spirit Torah. It's not just a blessing on the fact that we're going to learn Torah. It's a blessing of recognition of what the Torah really entails. Okay? Now, when we, we look at the, at the bracha, once again, we go back to the bracha again on page 17, and we find the language of blessed are you, Hashem, our God, right? King of the universe, as we've discussed in the past, this is the regular template of making a blessing who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to uh, engross ourselves. Uh, really, the, the Hebrew says, la'asok, right? In Hebrew, la'asok means to be engaged in, to be busy with, right? So what you would call someone is, what are you busy with these days, right? You know, what are, which, which things are you busy with? You would say la'asok, okay? Now, Rav Schwab points out that the language of saying Asher Kiddishanu, who has sanctified us, right, b'mitzvosa, with his commandments, we only make this bracha, we only use this template when we are engaged in a mitzvah that actually involves our body. If it is something that does not involve our body, then we do not make this blessing. And I'll bring you a proof. The proof is when we say the Shema, we have a mitzvah to say Shema every day, there is no blessing that one makes before saying the Shema, right? Who has san- Blessed are you, Hashem, who has sanctified us with- and commanded us to say the Shema. There is no blessing that one makes before they daven, right? Before they say tefillah, there is no bracha that one makes on the mitzvah. So let me explain a little bit better, I think, what, what I'm trying to get at. There are different blessings that we make. There are some blessings that we call birchat hanenin the blessings that we make upon having pleasure, right? So before we eat food, we make a blessing. After we eat food, we make a blessing. The, the blessing that we make is as an expression of gratitude for the pleasure that we have received from God. There are other blessings, which we call birchat hashvach, which is the blessing that we make out of praise to Hashem. An example of a birchat hashvach would be when we say, 
And we say, who is good and does good. An example of when we make that blessing is when we have good news happens to us, then we make that kind of blessing. So for example, if we hear that we did really well our, on our investment, right? We did not short GameStop. We actually bought long on GameStop and we did really well. So we make a tov v'hametiv. According to some, when you get your vaccine, you make a tov v'hametiv, right? Add a gratitude and praise to Hashem. Then we have a third category of bracha, which is called a birchat ha-mitzvah. This is the blessing that you make before you engage in a mitzvah. So, for example, when you take your lulav and etrog, right, you're about to pick it up for the first time. What do you say? You say, but you say a special blessing. When you are about to hear the blowing of the shofar, there is a special blessing that is made. These are called the blessings that are done before doing a mitzvah. Now, we do not make a blessing before doing the mitzvah of saying Shema. We do not make a blessing before doing the mitzvah of davening. Why do we make a blessing then? Because this template of saying, blessed are you Hashem who has sanctified us, is only said when we are making a blessing on an action that we are commanded to do. The Shema and the Davani, the prayer, those are not actions. Those are essentially things that are primarily mentally based. In other words, when we say the Shema, the real mitzvah of saying the Shema is the acceptance upon ourselves of the kingship of heaven. The real mitzvah of davening, of praying, is to achieve a level of understanding that we are standing in front of God. However, when it comes to learning Torah, we do make a blessing. Now, isn't Torah also something that's primarily a mental exertion and a mental mitzvah? The answer is it's not. The answer is that Torah is different. And the reason why Torah is different is because we are actually commanded to speak out the words of Torah. It is critical that we actually use our language. We use, at, we use words when we are learning Torah. And the reason why it's critical is number one, we actually find this in the Torah itself. Where do we find this? So let's look at source number five. Source number five is part of Shema actually, right? And it says in the Shema, vilimadetem otam, and teach them to your children, reciting them, right? Using words when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up. This is the Torah commandment to learn Torah and to teach Torah to your children. You cannot teach Torah to someone else unless you actually communicate your will. Right? It would be very good if we, if we had mind readers, right? And you wouldn't need to speak. But now we do need to speak. So therefore, the Torah is a commandment. It's an obligation to actually speak and use your mouth while learning Torah. Aside from that, we have a very important concept in Judaism that thinking something is not as significant as actually speaking something out. That when you speak something out with using words, it becomes more significant in your mind and in your heart. So for those two reasons, Torah is obligated to actually be spoken out and not just to be thought about. And therefore, it is something that is appropriate to have a blessing that tells us what God commanded and sanctified our body. Okay, any questions so far? Okay. 
So what's interesting is the Svardim, people from, you know, originally from Spain, from Spanish heritage, their custom is that the blessing that they say is who commanded us, who sanctified us and commanded us with his mitzvot, al divrei Torah. Al means on divrei Torah, on the words of Torah. Our custom, as we just read, is la'asok bidivrei Torah. La'asok, as I said, means to engage in the words of Torah. Okay? So the Bach, who is Rabbi Yoel Circus, says, why is it that we have this language of la'asok? It should say lidaber. It should say to speak the words. Why does it say la'asok? To busy with, to engage yourself with it. So I want to show you over here a fascinating Talmudic passage in Kedushan, and this is source six. And the Talmud tells us like this, in connection to the Mishnah statement about the importance of Torah study, the Gemara relates the following incident. And there was already an incident in which Rabbi Tarfon and the elders were reclining in the loft of the house of Nitza in Lod, when this question was asked of them, is study greater or is action greater? Right? I have to ask you guys a question. What is greater, to learn Torah or to do a mitzvah? Which is greater? Right? Rabbi Tarfan answered and said, action is greater. It's better to do a mitzvah. Rabbi Akiva answered and said, study is greater. Right? So Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfan, these two great, great Tanaic sages are sitting there and they're in front of all the other sages and they're arguing back and forth and they're, they're both bringing proofs to their points. And then there's a consensus. Everyone answered and said, Study is greater, but not as an independent value. Rather, it is greater as study leads to action. In other words, the purpose of learning Torah is, once again, it is not an independent discipline. It's not a beautiful study. That's not the idea. The idea of learning Torah is because the more Torah that you learn, the more mitzvot you can do. You have a greater understanding of the purpose of life. So the Bach says, why is it that we say la'asok? is it's a recognition that the purpose of learning Torah is to lead to greater action and involvement in the actual doing of the mitzvot that are said to us in the Torah. That's what the, the Bach explains. Now, the Taz says a little bit of a different angle, right? The Taz is another commentator on the Shulchan Aruch, and the Taz says like this. The Taz says the importance of La'asok it's indicative of the fact that when you see someone truly engaged in learning Torah, you actually see them sweating. You see them jump up out of their seats and they're fighting back and forth. I don't know how many of you have had the, the enjoyment or the, the pleasure, the privilege of walking into you know, a, a Beit Midrash in let's say you know, in Jerusalem or in Lakewood, you know, where you can see like a thousand people sitting there and studying Torah, you know, that they, they study Torah the whole day. And you, you'll walk in there and you'll stand like in a you know, window looking down because you don't want to walk in. There'll be a disturbance. But you, you're looking down at what people are doing and you see people are just jumping out of their seats and they're engaged with each other and they're fighting and they're using all the Jewish hand motions possible, right? To make the Italians look like they don't even know how to use their hands, right? When they're trying to express their, their emotions and they're trying to express my thought is like this and your thought is like that. It's a full body engagement in the Torah learning. And the Taz says, that's why we use this language of la'asok, because it should be everything. It's not just words. It's not just your mind. It should be your entire body engaged in the effort and in the attempt to try to understand the Torah. Okay? Now, 
we, we find something very interesting about this blessing that we don't find elsewhere. There's questions in the Gemara about how many blessings we make, and we end up just doing all of these blessings, okay? So let's read this Gemara. The Gemara tells us like this. What formula of blessings does he recite on the Berchat HaTorah? There is a dispute over the formula of the blessings as well. Rabbi Yehuda said that Shmuel said, the formula of this blessing is like the standard formula for blessings recited over other mitzvot. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us in this mitzvot and commanded us to engage in matters of Torah. And Rabbi Yochanan concludes the blessing by adding the following. Lord our God, make the words of your Torah sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the house of Israel, so that we and our descendants and the descendants of your people, the house of Israel, may be those who know your name and engage in your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. So the first blessing and the first part of that first blessing, standard template. That anytime you make a birchat mitzvah, a blessing before doing a mitzvah, this is the language that we use. It is then expanded. And it, we have this idea that you should sweeten the Torah in our mouths, not just in our mouths, of all your people and all of, your descend, and all of our descendants and all of the descendants of the Jewish people. They should know your name and engage in your Torah. And then we say this idea that God himself teaches us the Torah. And Rav Hamnuna said an additional formula who has chosen us from all the peoples and given us his Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. With regard to this formula, Rav Hamnuna said, this concise blessings is the most outstanding of all the blessings over the Torah, as it combines thanks to God for giving us the Torah, as well as a claim for the Torah and for Israel. Okay, so what, what Rav Hamnuna is telling us is that in essence, remember I said earlier, there's three different types of blessings that we make. We said one blessing is what we call a birchat mitzvah, the blessing that you make before doing a mitzvah. One blessing is giving thanks to Hashem. And one blessing is the birchas hanenin, the blessing that we make before engaging in an act that is pleasurable, right? So Rav Amnuna says, you know what? We now have all three blessings on learning Torah. We have a birchat mitzvah that Hashem has commanded us and sanctified us. We have a birchat of shvach, of giving thanks to Hashem for having given us the Torah. And then we have the fact that we are going to engage in the pleasure of learning Torah. The Gemara concludes, therefore, let us recite them all as blessings over the Torah, right? With the idea being that the Torah is supposed to help us engage in all three, all three of the reasons why we make brachot is all true about the Torah. Now, there, one of the things that we say in the, I see someone wrote something in the chat. Okay, take care, Elan. Have, have a great job. Be well. So the, one of the things that we say is, as we continue through the blessing, we say, please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. Now, this is an interesting idea. I, I think that this is something that uh, I'm, somewhat qualified to speak about because I do spend my days learning Torah. Some days you come and you sit down and you, you're, it's just not going so well, right? You open up the Gemara and like you're, you're busy thinking about other things and the Gemara is difficult and you just don't understand what the Gemara is really trying to say. And, you know, you had a bad night's sleep, whatever it might be. And it's just difficult and it's just not going well. And you just have to keep on plugging away. This is something I learned from my, my teachers and I learned from my father as well. You have to just keep on plugging away. And you, you, you don't stop. You keep on going until there's some level of breakthrough. And it doesn't happen every day. But there are days in which the, the, 
pleasure and the sweetness and the joy of working hard to understand the word of Hashem, right? There's a certain satisfaction and a sense of fulfillment that I cannot compare it to anything else. And that's the sweetness that we talk about is the sweetness of working and delving into and getting a deep understanding of what Hashem is trying to teach us, that it cannot be compared to anything else. That's what we speak about in this sweetness. Um, so we then write, in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. So what this is really saying is something very interesting. We have an obligation as Jews to ensure not just that we ourselves are learning Torah, not just we ourselves are learning Torah, but that also the entire Jewish people are learning Torah. Let me address Cheryl's comment. Two comments about full body engagement. One is I've heard of people studying with their thumb going down and up, and sometimes they lean in. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So that's, that's called the, the, um, the Gemara thumb, right? Because when you go like this is when you're trying to, for emphasis, you go like this, okay? Um, in terms of leaning in, so Rev Moshe Feinstein, who I've probably told you guys about in the past, the great, great um, halachic decisor, lived in America and died in 1986. Um, he famously said he was able to know who are people who are going to be successful in learning Torah by if their back touches the back of their chair. If their back never touches the back of their chair, if they're always leaning forward and they're engaged with their full body, then he knew they were going to be successful at Torah learning. Now, I just want to speak about this idea that we are all responsible for the rest of the, of the, rest of the people's learning. The, um, I, I just read yesterday, actually over the past two days, I read a biography of a, of a really wonderful person. His name was Rabbi Shlomo Gissinger. Now, Rabbi Shlo Shlomo Gissinger <coughs> passed away a year and a half ago at a pretty young age, um, only uh, 75 years old. And he was a, a great, great rabbi in Lakewood, New Jersey. Um, I actually knew him because he, his sister is my aunt. His sister married my uncle. So I actually had somewhat of a relationship with him. Um, when I was reading this, the first time I, I went over to ask him a question, a halachic question, because he was a tremendous halachic decisor. After I got married, I went over to visit him with my wife, Leah, and he, I went, she was in the car and I came, knocked on his door. He said, your wife is in the car. Tell her to come out. I want to meet her too. And then Leah comes out. He was incredibly warm. He gave me this big hug and kiss, right? And I thought, oh, he's giving me this big hug and kiss because he's, he's you know, my aunt is his, uh, is his sister. But then I'm reading this book and it turns out he did that to everybody he ever met. As soon as he met them, he would just give them this big hug and kiss, incredibly warm person. But he was also a tremendous Torah scholar. He also spent his days as doing medical referrals. Aside from being a rabbi of a big synagogue and having a big kashrut organization, he spent his days, nights, doing medical referrals for other people. Anybody who had difficulty from the, for about 40 years, he got involved from when he, a young age. He got involved trying to help people do research, medical referrals, who are the best doctors. And he developed a very deep, level of knowledge, and he was kept abreast of all the developments in the field, and particularly in terms of helping people have children. People are having difficulty with fertility issues. He, he you know, really delved into the topic and figured out who were the best doctors. He spent a lot of time doing this, and he basically, he didn't really sleep. I, I can attest that I, I was in his house sometimes late at night waiting online to ask him a question, and there would be like 10, 15 people waiting online in his living room. Everybody like standing in different corners of the living room. This is at 1230 at night. 
and there's people going into his study and he's just answering questions and, and his phone is ringing off the hook asking you know people telling him i don't know what to do i have a life and death situation which they do right now and helping people make these decisions so um, another thing that he did aside from all that and this is what we're getting to he was very very busy ensuring that every single student in lakewood had a school to go to now as crazy as it sounds when you have a bunch of different private schools but you have an exponentially growing community it can be difficult to ensure that everybody has a school to go to any given year and unfortunately, every year there were a couple of students who would fall through the cracks and wouldn't have a school to go to, to go to that year. And he took this on as his project that in, to ensure that everybody had a school to go to. And that meant that he would go to each school and ensure that they would all take some kids. He did this for probably the last 20 years of his life. This was another project that he took on. This was an idea that he took on because it says that we all have an obligation to ensure that the next generation is educated as well. This is not an, not an obligation only on the parent of the child or only on the person himself. It's an obligation on the community to ensure universal education. There's one story that, that they said about him. He was trying desperately to get a certain kid into a school and the school was adamant that he's not the right fit, but Rabbi Gissinger had decided this kid was the right fit for that school. And the school said there's no room for him. So Erev Yom Kippur, the kid was still not in school. And it's Erev Yom Kippur, it's at the Sudas Hamafsekas. The entire family is sitting there, they're eating the meal. Rabbi Kissinger says, I'll be, right, I'll be back soon, but don't wait for me in case I don't make it back before Yom Kippur begins. And he puts on his talus, he puts on his kittel, and he leaves the house. He goes and he knocks on the door of the principal of that school. And he says to him, I want you to let that kid in. He says, I'm sorry, Rabbi Kissinger, I don't think there's room for him in the school. I guess I just said, this is Erev Yom Kippur. I am standing right here on your porch. I am not leaving your porch. I have a congregation of 500 people. They will be waiting for me tonight at Kol Nidre. I will not be there. I am staying here until you agree that you are taking this boy into your school. So the fellow said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll take him into my school. I guess it just says to him, okay, so here's the phone. Call up his parents right now. It's Arab Yom Kippur. They're going to be crying the whole Yom Kippur that poor son doesn't have a school. Call up his parents right now and tell his parents that you're accepting him into the school. Calls up the boy. Okay, we're accepting your son into the school. Rabbi Gessinger, first of all, took that responsibility. Second of all, he said, I'm not even going to show until you tell me the kid is accepted. And he also had the wisdom to say, you better call the parents right now. Because on Yom Kippur, after Yom Kippur was over, the Rebbe calls him up, the principal calls him up and says, I'm sorry, I can't accept him. There's no room. He says, you called those parents yesterday and you told them that you're taking the boy into the school. I refuse to allow you to then tell the parents that you changed your mind. And indeed, he took the boy into the school, right? That's someone who took responsibility to ensure that the Torah will be passed on to the next generation. And this is something, obviously, that's on a very high level. But this is something that we all say. This is something that we all take responsibility for, right, to ensure that this happens. A way that we can do this, by the way, is also to help, help support institutions, right, that, that are teaching Torah to others. Okay, now uh, another point that I wanted to make is women are also obligated in Torah study and therefore also obligated in the bracha as well, okay? Now, what it says over here is at the end of that first blessing, blessed are you, Hashem, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. In other words, who teaches us Torah? Not just me, right? Not just my teachers, not just whatever other teachers you guys may have had. Hashem himself teaches Torah to us, right? Now, what does that mean? How does Hashem teach us Torah? 
So let's look at this Talmudic source, source number eight. Rabbi Alexandri says, anyone who engages in the study of Torah for its own sake, introduces peace into the heavenly entourage above and into the earthly entourage below, as it is stated, or let him take hold of my stronghold that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. One who observes the Torah, which is called O's, introduces peace even before the presence of God, as it were. Rav says, it is as though he built the palace of heaven above and of earth below, as it is stated, and I have placed my words in your mouth, and I have covered you in the shadow of my hand to plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people, Isaiah 51. But what do we see in Isaiah? And I have placed my words in your mouth. God himself places his words in our mouth. Our job is to attempt to understand the Torah with the recognition that this is different than any other discipline. This is not like physics. This is not like mathematics. This is a discipline, but it is a discipline that has divine underpinnings to it. But then we then merit what we call siyata dishmaya, divine assistance. We merit that Hashem himself will ensure that the learning happens. Right? I, I cannot really... Uh, unfortunately, cannot attest to this myself, where I've, I've gotten this level of divine inspiration. But people who try very hard can sometimes merit this level. There's uh, a story that happened about 15 years ago in Toronto. There was an individual who used to, he's a businessman, and at night he used to learn Torah every night with a certain, a certain rabbi. And one day, the snow in Toronto was just too much. You know, the snow was not quite like Binghamton, but the snow in Toronto could get pretty bad also. And it was pretty bad, and he was not able to go out to learn with this rabbi. And they were supposed to be learning a certain Talmudic passage. So he tried to learn a Talmudic passage by himself, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried. He just couldn't really understand it. He was just having difficulty understanding it. And he called up the rabbi, and he said, you know, I feel bad I wasn't able to make it tonight. This is my problem with the Gemara. I just don't understand what the Gemara means but um, I tried, I'm not able to understand it. He went to sleep that night. And as he was sleeping, he has a dream. And in the dream, a elderly individual with a white beard and a turban on his head comes to him and tells him, I know that you're having difficulty with this problem. If you open up my safer, if you open up my book, you will see that I have the answer to this problem. He wakes up from his dream and he calls up the rabbi in the morning and he says, Rabbi, I had this dream and this great rabbi came and explained to me the answer. And he said, the answer is located in his book. I don't remember what he told me, but I'm positive that the answer is located in his book. Here's my question. What's the answer? And the rabbi tells him, I was going to tell you, the Rajba, Rabbi Shlomo Ben Adderes, who was a great Sephardic rabbi in the 1100s, he asked this question in his book. And I am certain that he came to you in a dream because of the fact that you dedicated yourself to try to understand the Torah. He came to you in a dream to explain to you the answer to your question, right? This is something that happened 10, 15 years ago. It's a story that, that happens again and again and again. My uncle, who's a great Torah scholar and, and, uh, and a head, dean, a head of school in Queens, uh, he has a notebook by his bed. And why does he have a notebook by his bed? Because when he is deeply thinking about Torah during the day. Oftentimes he wakes up in the middle of the night and he just knows the answer to a question that he was dealing with during the day. And he needs to write it down on that notebook before he forgets in the morning. So he literally has a notebook right by his bed. He'll turn over and quickly write down the answer and then he'll go back to sleep. 
that is called divine inspiration. The fact that you could come up with an answer while you're dreaming is divine inspiration. I want to finish with, um, with one more point. Okay, so the, what's interesting about this blessing is we've been describing it as what we call a birchat mitzvah, a blessing done on a mitzvah. So there is a famous, let me see if I could get to the source. Yeah, okay, here we go. So there's a famous Tosafot, right? So Tosafot is the supplementary explanation on the side of the Talmud, okay? We have two different commentaries on the Talmud. We have Rashi's commentary, that's the, the simple understanding. And then we have Tosafot, that's supplementary. It asks questions from different places. Tosafot asks a question on the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that we make this blessing in the morning on Birchat Torah, and we do not make another blessing throughout the day. And Tosafot asks a question. It says, when it comes to other mitzvot, whether they are a, for example, the mitzvah that Tosfos gives is when it comes to sitting in the sukkah. When we sit in the sukkah, we make a blessing. Now, if you sit in the sukkah in the morning, you make a blessing. But if you come back in the afternoon and you want to eat another meal in the sukkah, what do you do? You make another blessing. Tosfos says, why is it that by Torah, you don't need to make another blessing? You make one blessing in the morning and that suffices for the whole day. So Tosfos has a beautiful idea. He says that we recognize that the purpose of being in this world is to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. And when we make that blessing in the morning and we start learning Torah, our goal in life is really to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. Unfortunately, things come in our way. We have to deal with the necessities of life and we end up doing other and we engage in other activities too. But we do not have what is called Hesach Hadas. Hesach Hadas means that your mind is losing the connection to what you're doing. If you go eat in the sukkah in the morning, then you leave the sukkah. You're not thinking about the sukkah the whole day. The next time you go back to the sukkah, you have to make a new blessing. Although it is true that you learned Torah in the morning and you made a blessing, you said the Shema, you made a blessing. And then you didn't learn Torah again for another six hours. You're busy at work, busy doing lots of other things as we all are. But then you sat back down at night to learn Torah because this is something that inherently was with you the whole day, it's considered like you've never stopped learning the Torah. It's considered like you've never lost that connection to the Torah. You never took your mind away from learning Torah. And therefore that one blessing in the morning suffices for the entire day. So the fact that this is the way that the sages set up the blessing, that you should make one blessing in the morning and not leave it behind the whole day, that tells us the mindset of the sages and tells us the mindset that we are all capable of recognizing and realizing that Ultimately, the reason why we're here is to learn Torah. The reason why we're here is to do mitzvahs. The reason why we're here is to make the world a better place through the Torah, through the mitzvahs. So when we make that blessing in the morning, we don't leave that behind the whole day. That's something that remains with us the entire day. Very good. Take care, everyone. Have a great Shabbos. Be well. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Hope you're feeling well. Thank you. Thank you.